Mic on, there we go. Uh, Once upon a time, uh, there was a group of people who were embarrassed in front of the entire world. They were put to shame in front of everyone, and they lost a lot of money in the long run. And this group of people, they lived with this shame for many, many years. And eventually, there came someone who promised this group of people honor. I mean, they were living in shame. They were looking for that honor. And finally, someone said, I can deliver you that honor. And so this group of people, they sought honor, you you, you know, a respectable, a good thing. And this group of people, they rallied together behind this great leader as they collectively, they wanted honor as they were put to shame in front of the entire world. And now this group of people, they were willing to do practically anything uh, to uh, gain honor from the rest of the world. And on this quest for honor, this group of people unfortunately, committed many horrendous atrocities. They physically, mentally, and emotionally abused millions of people. And millions of people died for this group's quest for power and honor. And this quest for honor led many different groups around the world uh, to retaliate, and, and they combated them head on. And unfortunately for the groups seeking honor, in the end, they were humiliated and they were put to shame again. Even though they were seeking that honor and they did have that honor um, in the eyes of many for a short bit of time, in the end, they were humiliated and rather than the honor they were seeking all along. And if you haven't picked up on it, this group of people that uh, we talk about uh, goes by the name of the Nazis. The the Nazis were a group of people who were put to shame um, in front of the entire world. And then they had this quest. They had this quest for honor and power. And all of a sudden, this great leader, um, he was an awful leader, but a great leader at the same time, Adolf Hitler, uh, he rallied the people, the people of Germany together, and and he gave gave them a promise of honor and power, and the people rallied behind this call of honor. And in this call of honor, we all know uh, that the Nazis, they performed uh, many, many, many horrendous things on their quest for honor. And in my eyes, the Nazis, they had an idol of honor. They wanted honor. They wanted that power more than anything else in the world. I mean, God wasn't even a thought in their quest for honor. And that is the power of an idol. An idol has an extreme amount of power in our lives if we let it have that power. And today, we get to finish our series on combating our idols. It's been a five-week series uh, talking about the power of our idols and how we as Christians can can combat the idols in our lives. And so the first week, we define what exactly an idol is. And an idol is anything anything or anyone that is more important to us than God. So again, if we use the example of the Nazis, they valued this honor more than God. And so this honor served as an idol for them. And as we read throughout the Old Testament and we get the example of the Israelites, time and time and time again, the Israelites struggled with idolatry. I think it was the single greatest issue that the Israelites had is that they were constantly putting other things and other people above God. 
And so then these past three weeks, we've been talking about uh, arguably the three most common idols in our society, in our culture, in America in the 21st century. And I think quite possibly the most common idol in our society that we all live in are our relationships. Sometimes we let our relationships get in the way of our relationship with God. Sometimes we value our relationship with our spouse, with our children, with our friends, siblings, parents, whomever it may be, and we value these so much that we value them even more than our relationship with God. And so we take this good thing like family, and we try and make it an ultimate thing, and we make it an ultimate thing, it then becomes an idol in our lives, and it can severely wreak havoc on your family. And then the second idol that we talked about is money. Money is another huge idol in our society and our culture. I mean, Jesus quite plainly said that you can't serve both God and money. Take your pick. You can't have both, though. And and we should all desire to seek God first and foremost. We should seek to serve him as uh, he offers us infinitely more than than money could ever begin to imagine offering us. And then last week, we talked about the idol of success. You know, America, we pride ourselves on everybody having the freedom to work their way up the ladder, the social ladder, and gain success in their lives. And we took a look at the example of Gideon, who struggled with the idol of success as well. And so today, we, we get to wrap up our discussion on idols. And so we really went in depth on those three most common idols in our society, relationships, money, and success. But those are only three idols. There are plenty of idols that that are offered out in this world. Some of the different idols that many people may experience are theological idols. We may have sexual, magic, ritual, political, economic, racial, national, religious, Uh, philosophical, cultural. I mean, you can go on and on and on of the potential list of idols that this world offers us. And unfortunately, we just don't have enough time uh, to go in in depth with each of these different idols. So today, we're going to spend our time on how do we identify when we have an idol in our life. You know, we, we talk about identifying it with those three main, but how can we, with all these different possibilities of having an idol in our life, how can we identify the other idols in our life? And so this morning, we're going to cover three ways, three practical ways in which you can help discover any idols that you have in your life. And to help us determine how to uh, detect an idol, we're going to take a look at the example of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Jonah. Jonah was one of the 12 minor prophets. God, they're, they're called minor not because they're unimportant, but simply uh, their, their books are shorter uh, than most of the five major uh, prophets. And so in uh, the book of uh, Jonah, we see that Jonah, he was an Israelite, and he ministered to the 10 northern tribes of Israel. He lived under the divided kingdom, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, and the two southern tribes of Judah. Judah, they had some good kings. Israel didn't have a single good king. They, they, were, they, they really struggled with, with issues like idolatry. And so Jonah, he was ministering to these 10 northern tribes of Israel. And in the midst of him ministering, serving as a prophet for God, God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, it's important for us to know, Nineveh it was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And to put it in simple terms, Israel and Assyria, 
they did not get along. They clashed time and time again. In fact, shortly after the ministry of Jonah, the Assyrian Empire came and conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel. And so God called Jonah, an Israelite, a, a very proud patriotic Jew, to go to the city of Nineveh and minister and preach the message of repentance to the city of Nineveh as they were a people full of sin. They were committing all kinds of different sins, and God wanted them to repent. And so God sent Jonah to go minister to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. I mean, in, in modern day uh, terms, that would be uh, similar to God calling someone from Israel today and telling them to go minister uh, to like the, 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 the headquarters of the Hamas terrorists. That, that, that's kind of what we are dealing with today, the, these Assyrians who really mistreated the Israelites. And so what does Jonah do about this? What does he do with this calling from God to go preach to the bad guys? Well, Jonah, he runs away from the bad guys. He runs away from the city of Nineveh, and he goes in the opposite direction. And uh, he goes on a ship headed towards Tarshish. And in the midst of the ship, long story short, many of us are probably familiar with the story of Jonah being swallowed up by the big fish. And for three days and three nights, Jonah lived in the belly of the fish as he was running away from his calling to serve God. And in the midst of Jonah being in the belly of the fish, God gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah prayed to God, and so God made the big fish spit Jonah out. And so now Jonah, he reluctantly went and he preached this message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. Awesome job, Noah. And surprisingly, or to my surprise at least, the people of Nineveh, they listened to the message of Jonah and they repented. They repented of their sins. And so God, he was going to destroy the city of Nineveh. But because Jonah went and preached a message of repentance, the people repented of their sins and God relented of his anger. And our gracious and merciful God spared the city of Nineveh. Jonah's ministry was successful in the end. And all was well. Or at least we thought all was well. But this is where we pick up. If you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 4 is where we're going to pick up here. At the end of the story after Jonah's ministry was successful. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it reads, But, so this is after God uh, spared uh, the people of Nineveh, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so to our shock, after Jonah and he, he preaches this successful ministry to the people of Nineveh, to our shock, Jonah's not exasperated, he, he's not joyful, but instead, Jonah is exceedingly distressed. He, he was angry. He was angry with God. And Jonah, he, he, he tells God, God, this is why all along I fled to Tarshish, because I knew you, God. I knew you. I had a relationship with you, God, and I knew you. I know that you are a merciful God. I know that you are a gracious God and you are slow to anger and abounding in love. And I knew that if they repented, you would relent from their disaster. I knew that. That is why I did not want to go preach to the people in 
Nineveh. And so here Jonah, he feared, he was scared that God was going to have mercy on these Ninevites. And so I would argue that Jonah, he had a national or, or a political idol. You know, his pride in his nation, Israel, his pride in, in the politics of Israel versus the people of Assyria, they got in the way of his relationship with God. He valued more the nation of Israel and, and the, the politics of it all. He valued that more than obeying God's call to go to Nineveh in the first place. He valued that more than God, and that by definition is an idol. Jonah had an idol. And I think we can detect the, the idol that Jonah had by his fear. He was fearful. This fear that he had from his idol, it led him away from God. He was scared that God was going to uh, relieve Nineveh of their disaster. And today, fear is one of the most powerful, one of the best indicators that we have an idol in our lives. Jonah feared this so much, this fear got in his way, and this fear reveals to us that, hey, he has an issue with an idol uh, of his nation. He valued his nation more than he valued God. And so my question for you then is, what do you fear? What do you fear? Do you fear that you are going to lose your job one day, have this oversensing fear? Do you have this oversensing fear that your house is going to burn down? Do you have this oversensing fear that this country uh, is, is, is a wreck and that it's headed in the wrong direction? What do you fear? Because what you fear can serve as a powerful indicator as to what a potential idol may be in your life. Because you don't want to lose these valuable things to you. These valuable things like our relationships, our homes, uh, the, the, where our country is headed. The, these are some of the common things that we have a fear over. And if this fear overtakes us, we see that this fear can make us value these different idols more than God, and it can steer us away from God. So be in tune of what makes you the most fearful. Does losing your children, losing your spouse, losing your home, losing your job, uh, the, the fear of where this country is headed, discover what you get scared about the most, and be aware that fear is one of the best indicators that, hey, we have an idol. So that's the, the first uh, way in which we can detect an idol in our lives. And we saw that in the life of Jonah. As he was scared that God was going to relieve Nineveh of uh, the disaster that was coming their way. And so after Jonah told God that he feared he would have mercy on Nineveh, we see some very, very strong emotions from Jonah. I mean, we already saw some strong emotions. It said in chapter 4, verse 1, that Jonah was exceedingly displeased and that he was angry. But we see some even stronger emotions from Jonah. If we, if we pick up in the story here in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, it reads, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And so Jonah, as, as he responds to this message that God was uh, having grace and mercy on the people of Nineveh, Jonah, he was so grieved, he was so frustrated and angered by this message that he wanted to kill himself. He wanted God to kill him. Oh Lord, please take my life from me. He had suicidal thoughts because 
he had this idol of the nation of Israel, this idol of politics that was more important to him than his relationship with God. These unyielding, really strong emotions. He was in such a poor mood, and the poor mood doesn't stop. If you continue the story, it's talking about Jonah finding some shade. The shade goes away, basically, um, and Jonah again asks God, God, kill me. God, take my life in verse 8. Verse 8, for it is better for me to die than to live. So he was in a really, really poor mood because this idol failed him, this idol of his nation of Israel and this idol of the politics of Israel against Assyria, it failed him. And, he, and it reaped some very strong, unyielded emotions. And these strong, unyielded emotions that we have in our lives, they too can serve as an indicator that, hey, maybe we have an idol in our life. So you should be asking yourself, what makes me extremely happy? Or what makes me extremely sad or angry or still? What makes you experience these unyielded emotions that nothing can contain? And whatever is associated with these unyielded emotions, they can indicate that, hey, maybe that is serving as an idol in my life. Maybe these things are more important. Maybe these things or these people are more important to me than our heavenly Father. So that's another possible indicator that, hey, we may have an idol in our life are those unyielded emotions or those strong, powerful emotions. And so another key indicator of an idol are your effortless thoughts. You know, it's not recorded in uh, the book of Jonah, but I bet that Jonah thought time and time again about the Ninevites. And he thought, oh, those people are the scum of the earth. You know, and, and probably when he had nothing else to do, that's probably what he thought about how great the nation of Israel was and this uh, conflict that they had with one another. I'm sure that is constantly on his mind. And so the, these effortless thoughts that we have on our daily lives, they can be an indicator that, hey, we have an idol. The Archbishop William Temple said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. Say that again. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, the God of your heart, the idols of our heart, is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. So when you have that free time in the day, you don't have something, you know, directly demanding your attention, and you're just at home enjoying your time, what does your mind effortlessly effortlessly wonder to? Does it wonder to how I can make more money, what I'm going to do uh, with the next house, what am I going to do um, with my wife or children or spouse or whatever it may be? How am I going to attain success, achieve that success in life and climb up the social ladder? What does your mind wonder, uh, aimlessly wonder? Do you effortlessly think about your heavenly father or is your mind constantly polluted by these other thoughts, by, by, by these good things, these good things like family and, and, and money and success and honor and, and power. What, what do you think about? What do you daydream about throughout the day? And if you are constantly daydreaming and fantasizing about all these other things and your mind doesn't effortlessly wonder to your relationship with God, then hey, 
that could possibly be an indicator that we have an idol in our lives. So be aware of that. Be, be in tune with where your mind effortlessly wanders when there is nothing demanding our attention. So those are three key indicators to determine whether or not we have an idol in our lives. Number one is fear, what we fear the most. Number two, those strong, unyielded emotions. And number three, those effortless thoughts. Those, these are three key ways that you can examine, that you can be aware of your life and determine, hey, is this serving as an idol in my life or not? And again, an idol is anything or anyone that is more important to you than God. So when we look at this example of Jonah, we see that he struggled with the idol of politics and patriotism, which, by the way, I, I think is probably, if I had to guess, probably the fourth most common here in America. You know, we have a lot of sense of patriotism, and it's America this, America this, um, and, and that's good. God bless America. Those, those are all good messages, but when these messages become more important to us than God, there's an issue to be had. And so uh, oftentimes, just like Jonah, we can look upon our political leaders as messiahs, we can look upon our political policies as saving doctrine, or we can turn to political activism into a kind of religion. And so that's, this is the idol that Jonah himself struggled with, this, and we can identify this idol by his fears, by his strong, unyielded emotions, and again, it's not recorded, but if we uh, were in tune with Jonah's effortless thoughts, I, I'm sure that it was uh, about the people of Nineveh and the people of Israel. And so we need to learn to identify any idol in our life, whether that be our relationships, money, success, or some other concept, some other idol that we haven't talked in depth about. And the truth of the matter, this can be very, very difficult to do so here in the 21st century. It's difficult to do in any era, in any time, because our society, when we completely immerse ourselves into a particular idolatrous attachment, it becomes normal. It becomes normal to, to value our families more than anything else on this world, including our relationship with God. It's normal in our society to serve the dollar bill. It's normal in our society to, to strive for that success more than anything else in this world. And when these things become normal, they become really hard to detect in our lives because, you know, that's just what we do as human beings. So be aware of that. Be aware of these different idolatrous behaviors that are normal in our society. And it, it, it can become almost impossible to discern it for what it is. And so that is the first step to combating these different idols is identifying what idols we have in our lives. And then once we've identified what an idol or what these different idols we have in our lives, the next step is quite simple. Focus less on your idols and focus more on God. It's simple. We, we don't need to overcomplicate the process here. If you identify that you have an idol with your family, with money, with success, identify it and focus less on these things and focus more, I'd say even more importantly, focus more on God as God needs to be our number one priority in our lives. So let's together, let's collectively as a church, let's learn to combat our idols, the idols that the world throws our way. And if we do this, if we truly successfully combat the idols in our lives, then God has a glorious, glorious promise in store for you. 
more than any idol in this world could offer you. God is providing you an opportunity to live forever in a day and age where everything wrong with this world is going to be made right. No idol can offer that to you in your life. And so God must be your number one priority in your life. And if you do, you are going to reap the benefits. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for uh, this day. Father God, I just pray that you open our eyes and our mind and our hearts to any potential idols that we may have in our lives and that we learn to combat our idols by focusing on them less and focusing on you more. And so, Father, I just pray that you remind us, that you encourage us on a daily basis to seek you first and foremost, and all these things will be added unto us, and we will be partakers of your coming kingdom. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.